Today we're looking at a rather obscure character in Scripture. Her name is Chloe. Uh, we find her uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the only place that she is mentioned. And amongst the same things she seems to be concerned with are divisions in the church. Um, a, sort, a form of maybe one-upmanship. So, I mean, one-upmanship can be funny if it's handled right, but a lot of times it's just irritating. And sometimes it's beyond irritating. Uh, sometimes it's damaging, right? It just ends up being kind of divisive. So here's the only thing we hear about Chloe in Scripture. It says, For it has been reported to me, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there, were, there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. Now, I've always wanted to have people. Like, I've always wanted to say, I'm going to have my people get with your people. But I've never had, like, people, like, so readily available that I could just assign them to get with somebody else's people. So I'm not exactly sure how advanced you have to be in, in success, success or society in order to have that level of people. But Chloe had it, right? So what this most likely means is that Chloe's people have delivered a letter to Paul. Because later in 1 Corinthians, he'll eventually get around to saying, now concerning the matters that you wrote about. So he says up front in the letter, I've heard these reports from Chloe's people. So they've, they've told him something. But they haven't just told him something. They've also delivered a letter that the Corinthians had written to him. You see, Paul's relationship with the Corinthians was pretty um, extensive. This is long after his kind of conversion, um, if that's the right term, uh, to, to Jesus, right? He, he, I, I kind of think that it wasn't necessarily a conversion so much for Paul. He kind of always believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he came to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah that had been promised through the whole kind of uh, Jewish scriptures. But in any case... As, as Paul, he, um, he came to a faith in Jesus, he had spent years in Arabia, uh, three to be exact, and then he had spent years more, we're not even sure how long, back in Tarsus in his hometown before Barnabas had found him and brought him to Antioch and this kind of a Christian center for kind of sending out missionaries. So Paul now is kind of going out as a missionary and he's kind of starting these churches and he's been to Corinth and he stayed there a, a decent amount of time. And now he's living in Ephesus. And he's working at a church in Ephesus. And he's, getting, he's making these visits back to Corinth. And he's getting these reports back from Corinth. And apparently things are starting to kind of um, pull apart just a bit. Things are starting to, to break down. Now, what's interesting about Paul's letter to the Corinthians is some people imagine that the Corinthians were kind of a, a particularly problematic church because kind of Paul goes from issue to issue. But I tend to think, and I, and I picked this up from a scholar named Kim Bailey, I tend to think that Paul's approach to the Corinthian church was more like this. Corinth was the big city, right? It was the, it's, it was the metropolitan area. And everybody would have known what was kind of happening there. And as Paul goes to write to the church there, he kind of says, and he, he says this, and to Christians everywhere. So I think he's not just imagining that the Corinthians are going to read this letter. He's imagining that other Christians elsewhere are going to read it. In fact, 
other Christians elsewhere and at other times would, of course, include us. He writes this. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it sounds pretty inclusive at that point, right? He's talking to all of us. I particularly like the fact that he says to the church of God in Corinth, right? So you, you guys might know this, but the particular denomination that I grew up in was the church of God. So I always imagine that he wrote this to the Corinth church of God, right? As opposed to, you know, the first assembly uh, church or the first Baptist church. I'm just teasing you. I, I thought that was, that was a lot funnier when I wrote that down. <laughs> So to churches everywhere. So now let's look particularly at Chloe's concern, right? Divisions in the church. Paul says this. So he's heard, he's heard from Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. And he says, what I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. So what's going on in the church? Apparently there are these divisions and people are starting to kind of clump up according to the different leaders uh, from, from the church. So it'd be like saying, well, I belong to Phil, or I belong to Robbie, or I belong to M- Mikkel, or I belong to Christ. Not exactly, but generally speaking. What, so what is happening? So it's hard to say what has kind of caused these divisions, because it's not as though these particular people have spent a lot of time in Corinth. In fact, We know Paul and Apollos have been there, but we don't know if Cephas, Cephas, by the way, is Peter. Uh, Cephas was his his kind of Jewish name, right? So before Jesus said, hey, I'm going to call you Rocky, his mom, right, called him Cephas. So it is interesting that he's referred to by his Jewish name, which has led some people to think that perhaps the divisions in the church aren't simply based on the leader that they like, but rather on the kind of group that that leader represents to them. For Paul, of, these, of this group, is the only one that's a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, that kind of placed Paul in a certain kind of social status. And there might have been some in the church that shared that status, and they're like, yeah, I'm with that guy. He's a citizen like me. Or Apollos, who was Greek, So the Romans had come through, and they were the dominant um, government at the time, but the dominant culture at the time, if not dominant, certainly popular at the time, was the Greek culture. And they said, man, I really like Apollos. He's a smooth talker. Like, that guy is a great teacher. In fact, if they would post when Apollos is speaking, I would only show up on Apollos' days, right? (laughs) And you, you have others that are like Cephas. They're like, Look, I don't know about all these newfangled people coming to our church. Like, we are Jews, right? We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm with Peter. And, of course, then there's the last group, right, which I'm not exactly sure how to take them, the ones that say, well, I just belong to Christ, which I, I, I tend to think could be the most problematic. Because what does that mean, right? Like, I don't follow this group or that group. I'm not a part of this denomination or that. I just follow Jesus. Well, if you just follow Jesus and I follow and I do something different than you, does that mean then I don't follow Jesus? 
Like, in some ways, I think it could be the most divisive to say, well, I just follow Christ. Well, we're all trying to do that. So what are the, what are the problems? Some have suggested that it might have been baptism. Because the very next verse kind of follows on that. It says this. Having just said, I belong to Paul, I belong to Paulus, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Christ. Paul asked this question. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. Well, except for, for Crispus and Gaius. So that no one can say that they were baptized in my name. Well... I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Uh, but beyond that, I do not know whether or not I baptized anybody else or not. But for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, not with eloquent uh, wisdom, so that the cross of Christ may not be emptied of its power. So perhaps that had happened, right? Paul maybe had baptized some of these people. Maybe Apollos had baptized some of them. Maybe Peter had come through and baptized some of them. Who knows, right? But they had kind of, once again, they had made their point of gathering the fact that they were different from these other people, right? Not just other people in general, but other Christians. And not just other Christians, but perhaps even other Christians in Corinth. And Paul's just not going to have it. Look, we have to find a way to get over our differences. This is, this is as clear as anything. There is, Paul says, but one cross. There is but one spirit, which is what he launches into in the next couple of chapters. So Paul's kind of laid out his problem. There's divisions in the church. And Paul's response to divisions in the church is to preach about Jesus and the spirit. Right? <clears throat> there is one cross. There are not multiple crosses. And so whether you think that maybe we come in these different ways, we have these different beliefs, there's still just this one. And there's one spirit. And that one spirit gives us this wisdom to know how to behave. He revisits his issue about saying, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas. Again in chapter 3. So he kind of sandwiches it all in there, Right? his references to his problems, and right in the middle is this discussion of Jesus and the Spirit. He, he does this, um, he uh, ends that discussion with this really interesting uh, statement. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This particular English translation is a, obscures a little bit about what's going on in the original text. Um, because this could be read to make it sound like I'm God's temple, and if you do anything to destroy me, God's going to destroy you. Or Joe's God's temple, and if we do anything to destroy Joe, God's going to destroy us or Deb, or, or whoever, right? So <clears throat> if I could translate this in my kind of southern colloquialism, I'd say this. Uh, do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? If anyone destroys that temple, God destroys that person, for God's temple is holy 
and y'all are that temple. You see, Paul is a, a rabbi, right? Paul's a trained Pharisee. Paul knows that even though we today might use the word temple in the plural, or um, there might be this temple and that temple and the other temple, and people might use it for the name of their local church, in, in Judaism, <clears throat> there was only ever one temple, at least at a time. And when Paul's writing this, there is the physical temple still in Jerusalem. But Paul says that the people of God together are God's temple. And that matters to God. So collectively, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And not just we that are here today, but all those who call upon the name of the Lord. And so when you think about how you might disagree, particularly with other Christians, you need to think through that because they make up the temple of God. And that's important. At least it is for Paul and for me. And I hope so for you. Later in the letter, Paul explains his own method of living in this kind of diverse world. He says, For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one who is outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. He's having a hard time here, and a lot of provisos. So that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might share in its blessings. Let's look a little more closely at this argument. Paul starts off by saying, to the Jews I became a Jew. Which is interesting, because you know ethnically, obviously, he's already a Jew. But I think he means he's taken on a bit of the, of the Jewish way of following Jesus so as to be appealing to other Jews. He says this more directly in his next statement. He says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, a.k.a. Jews, right? Now, he, 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 he classifies that, right? He offers his proviso that he's not bound to it. He's freely choosing to behave this way. Because, well, he's wanting to appeal to Jews. And then he, then he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, a.k.a. Gentiles, right? And he qualifies that too. He's like, it doesn't mean that I don't think that there are kind of restrictions on how I live. I'm trying to follow God. But, you know, for the Gentiles, I can Gentile it up a little bit, Right? So, following the line of thought, I kind of anticipate his next statement, because his first statement is, to the Jews, I'm a Jew, and then he goes, under the law, not under the law. I kind of halfway expect his next statement to be, to the Gentiles, I become a Gentile. Except he doesn't say that. What he says is, to the weak, I become weak. And i got to give Paul some real sophisticated credit at this point. Because at the end of the day, we can only be ourselves. I can't, I can't really be something I'm not, I'm not, right? So I might want to sympathize with the plight of women in our culture. 
I mean, I do sympathize with the plight of women in our culture, but at the end of the day, I'm not a woman. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. So in, in a world of, of Me Too and Time's Up and God forbid uh, Church Too, you know what I'm referencing, right? Women who are kind of in the workforce or in public and they find themselves kind of the object, uh, undesirably so, of some man's advances, yeah? So I want to be sensitive to that, but at the end of the day, I don't really know what that's like. So I have to be careful. I have to be sensitive. Um, I'm going to tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody. I'm white. I know, it's, it's crazy. Ed looked real surprised. Um, I, I don't know what it's like to, to live in our, in our town or our, our county or state or country as someone who's not a member of kind of the dominant or um, uh, majority, right? So I can't, I can't say what it's like to live um, as someone who's not kind of like me because this is the only life I've got. But what I can do is I can try to be, again, sympathetic, sensitive. Uh, this is, what, February the 4th, right? We started Black History Month. So I don't know what that means to you or your family. But it should mean something. Right? We shouldn't just kind of skirt by these things because, oh, that must not apply to me. Right? We can't, we can't skirt by the, the, the problems we have in our society as though we're kind of immune to them. We, we're all a part of them. And if we're going to kind of take Paul's approach to being in the world, there's this kind of sense of accommodation. We do our best to accommodate to the, to the Jews, like the Jews, to the Gentiles, like the Gentiles. I can be me. I can't be everything. But I can be available. I can be honest. I can accommodate for the sake of sharing the gospel. It's very interesting. It's kind of a conditional accommodation, right? I've often thought this before. Paul's kind of saying, look, this is how I behave. I accommodate to those who aren't like me. But then there's this long list of things that the Corinthians seem to want him to do that he doesn't do, right? Like in 2 Corinthians, they're like, Paul, come on. Can't you just like brush up your speech? And he's like, I will not speak in lofty words of wisdom. And at one point when he's saying this, he writes this like beautiful little poem as he says it. <laughs> right? And then another point, they talk about his looks. Like, can't you dress up? Like, can you not perhaps like put on a tie or a jacket? Uh, or he didn't wear ties and jackets, but can, can, he, apparently he didn't look the part. And when he went to talk about how he looked, he's like, if I'm going to boast about how I look, I'm going to show you the scars of when I was stoned. I'm like, whoa, buddy, keep your shirt on. <laughs> and then at one point, he's, he's talking about, and I, maybe he got his feelings hurt, I'm not sure. But he's talking about these other folks who have come through Corinth. He calls them super apostles. Apparently, they're getting paid really well. 
And so he refuses the Corinthians, right? Paul takes money from other churches, right? He'll take money from the churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. But he refuses to take money from the Corinthians. And the odd part about that is, is that the Corinthian church was probably the wealthiest. Again, it's kind of this kind of urban center, like financial center. You have like Rome, Corinth, and Alexandria. Those are the big spots. And these other places are kind of out of the way places. But yet he's, he's willing to kind of, you know, be thankful that they can give what they can give. He writes that to the Philippians. But the Corinthians, he's like, look, we're not peddlers of the gospel. Like, we're, not, we're not selling anything to you. Interesting, right? When Paul says, I become all things to all people, I'm sure there's some of the people who read that and thought, <clears throat> Paul does also give us advice, though. He doesn't just tell us how he behaves. He gives the readers advice of how the church should handle issues on which they disagree. Now, he's been discussing a really hot topic for his church, a really hot topic. I mean, this was on the short list of things that they went over at their first kind of council or conference meeting of the early church. Food sacrifice to idols. Now, bear with me. I know this is not a big deal here, right? It's not like you go up to the butcher at Publix and are like, I'd like a couple of ribeyes, but could you please tell me whether or not this cow was sacrificed to an idol? Right? That's just not part of the world we live in. But it was a big deal for them. And as he's getting to the end of that conversation, it's a long one, right? And it's as though the Corinthians wanted Paul to really lay out kind of the yes and no's, the rights and wrongs. And instead, this is what Paul says. Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things built up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth and its fullness are the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you are disposed to go... Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Right? So you go to a neighbor's house. They're going to feed you. Just eat it. Don't quiz them. Calm down. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. Out of consideration for one, the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean the other's conscience, not your own. For why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience. If I partake with thankfulness, why should I uh, be denounced because of uh, that which I give thanks? It's a remarkable thing, really. Again, remembering kind of who Paul is, right? A Jewish pharisaical rabbi. Earlier he had said, because they're in this debate, right, about whether or not they should eat this stuff, and he goes, food will not commend you to God. Food will not commend you to God. Are you kidding me? There's what you can eat. There's what you can't eat. There's who you can eat with. There's who you can't eat with. There's how it's prepared. If it's not prepared that way, you can't do it. Come on, to keep kosher today, you have to have two kitchens, right? There are homes here in Lakeland that have two kitchens because they're trying to keep kosher, right? And they have one that's prepared the breakfast stuff in and those utensils and those kind of the food for that. And they have another that they prepare their meals, evening meals or midday meals in, right? Different set of utensils, different set of food. And here's Paul saying, food doesn't commend us to God? Man, that had to sound radical to some of these people. Look, 
If somebody says to you, hey, I'm going to do this. You want to join me? I'm worshiping another God. Paul says, don't do that. Don't, don't worship other gods. And, and not just for you, but for them. You, that it's, it's good for them to know that you worship this God and not somebody else. But if you're not worshiping another God, then just chill out a little bit. It's food. He ends by saying this, and I love this. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, right? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many so that they may be saved. Look. Give no offense to the Jew. Uh, That was a different belief system than the one they were currently forming. You can live in this world and not be offensive to other religions, then, then that's the right way to do it. Give no offense to the Greek. Again, kind of the dominant culture. If you can live in this world and, and not be offensive to, to the dominant culture, then, then you should do that. And this is a good one, my friends. Give no offense to the church of God or the assemblies of God or the church of Christ. Right? That we, we should be able to live together without offending one another. Now, when I was younger, I felt like I was going to tell the truth no matter what. Right? Too many fake people out there. And I patted myself on the back. I was very self-congratulatory for my honesty, which ended up just being kind of vain bluntness. Right? It's, it's not just a matter of being right in an argument. Sometimes I would win arguments because I'm good at arguing, even when I didn't argue the side I actually believed in. And, that, and you've done it too. I heard somebody laugh. You're like, oh yeah, I can do that. And listen, I get it. It can be fun, but if it's, about matter, if it's about things that really matter in life, it's probably not the way we should live. Let's be gentle with one another. Let's take Paul's advice. Let's live at peace with all people the best that we can. Let's find ways to kind of be in the world as Jesus is in the world. So whether you eat or drink, Or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, giving no offense to the Jews, the Greeks, or by all means, no offense to the church.